So here we are right at the, the conclusion of the book of Revelation. We actually have one more, one more study in Revelation. So next Sunday morning, we will conclude our, our teaching series through Revelation. This morning, we're going to look at this invitation that we read here. And it, of course, is this invitation to come and drink the water of life freely, take the water of life freely. And the water of life here is a, a symbolic way of describing salvation. And we'll talk about that a bit later, but just this, this beautiful picture that God gives to us of what he offers to us, this, this water of life. Now, of course, as we see, as we know, uh, here we are at the, the conclusion of the book of Revelation, but notice that we're also at the conclusion of the Bible itself. So, so we've come here uh, to the end of the, the entire uh, biblical revelation, and the thing that is really amazing to me to think about is that here, once again, we have God extending his invitation to people. And now think about this. Human history is, among other things, it's, it's the story of, of man's continued rejection of God. Man continues to reject God, continues to spurn uh, God's offer of life. And rather than giving up on man, rather than just deciding, okay, enough is enough. I, I've offered this uh, so many times and it's been turned down. I'm just going to withdraw the offer. The amazing thing to me is to see how all the way to the very end, God continues uh, to hold out that, that offer, that, that invitation is there. You know, think about it. If you yourself, if you were, you know, extending sort of like an olive branch for, you know, for illustration, you know, olive branch is like a, a peace sign. You know, if, if you, if you continue to extend that to someone, there, there's a point and, and you were constantly rejected. You were constantly spurned. There, there's a point you're just going to say, you know what? I'm done. Okay. I've, tr I've tried everything I can. They don't want this. Uh, I'm, I'm finished. I, I'm, I'm withdrawing the offer. But you know, the amazing thing is God has never done that. In, and even though history has been just a continual rejection of the creator by us, his creation, he still offers that gift of life. And, and we see that right here to the very end. Now, there are a number of places in the Bible where we find similar kinds of invitations. And they they begin in a similar way with the, the invite to come. And so what I want to do today is I want to just look at a couple of those other invitations that are given, and then we'll, we'll come finally back to the one that we started with here. But what I want to look at when we take a look at these is to see what the invitation is to and... Uh, who it is that is, is being invited. So if we go back to the book of Isaiah, you don't have to turn there, but maybe you want to just 
jot this down because it's a great invitation there. In the first chapter of Isaiah, verse 18, it says, uh, the, the Lord is speaking and he says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they'll be as wool. So here's one of those invitations. And notice the invitation is to the sinner whose sins are like scarlet and crimson. Now, make no mistake about it. Everybody's a sinner. We're, we're all sinners. The Bible is crystal clear about this. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us are sinners. But not every one of us sin necessarily to the same degree. Not everyone is affected by sin equally. Of course, in the, in the spiritual realm, in the eternal realm, we are all affected equally by sin. But not all of us are affected equally by sin in this life because not everyone uh, engages in sin to the level that your sins would be as scarlet or as crimson. So what's being described here is uh, those who are under the, the control, really, of sin in all of its destructiveness. The, sometimes the, the term is used uh, to speak of uh, people whose lives are just so devastated by sin as uh, people who are engaged or under the control of life-dominating sins. And there certainly are those kinds of life-dominating sins. Sins that uh, just literally wreck a person's life so that they can't even live life normally. They can't really even function normally. Now, a lot of these people are addicted to drugs, to alcohol. They're addicted to violence. They're addicted to all kinds of bad behavior. A, a lot of people like this, now not everybody, but a lot of people like this, you would find them in the prisons throughout the country. I mean, this is the kind of sinner that is being addressed here. And sometimes we have a tendency to think that, well, you know, that kind of person, that uh, somebody who, who is sinning to that extent, somebody whose sins are so blatant, so obvious, and, and they've taken such a toll on a person's life, sometimes we might be tempted to think, well, you know, this person is beyond the, the grasp of God. This person is beyond salvation, but this verse tells us that that isn't the case. Though your sins be as scarlet, though they be red like crimson, you see, God's power, the power of the gospel is such that it is able to save anyone who will call upon the name of the Lord, no matter how deep the pit is that they might find themselves in. So that's something that we can never lose sight of. We must remember that God is able to save uh, anyone. And, and everyone, any, anyone today who is living and breathing, regardless of the extent that sin has taken its toll upon their lives, 
They're, they're not beyond the grasp of God, nor are they beyond the invitation of God to come. And so we're talking about those upon whom sin has left its mark. The stain of sin goes deep into the fabric of their life. Sin uh, permeates the very warp and woof of their being. But still, God is able. And notice what he's able to do. Notice the promise. Though your sins be as scarlet, they will be white as snow. God is able to take those lives that would appear to other people to be beyond repair. He's able to take them and actually cleanse them to such an extent that the stain is completely removed. That's the promise here. That's amazing. And you know, that's really what redemption is. God is the God of redemption. He redeems things. The word redeem, it, the idea behind it is to purchase back something that was lost, something that was stolen, something that was uh, taken away. Redemption is, is buying that back, bringing that back. And, and God is the God of redemption. You know, one of the places, interestingly, one of the places where there is an amazing work of God happening in our day that we, we don't necessarily know this because we might not be directly connected to it, but did you know that in the prisons across this country there is a mighty work of God that's taking place? And, and this is not the normal kind of a situation, but, but for about the past you know 20 years or so, uh, there, there's been an extraordinary outpouring of the Spirit in prisons all across this country. And men whose, and, and women, whose lives would be like this. It's being described here. Their sins of scarlet, like crimson. The, the blot, the stain is so obvious and, it, and it's so thoroughly permeated their, their being that they are incapable of even functioning out in society, many are being redeemed. Many are being washed. Many are being cleansed. In a couple of weeks, we're going to have a guest speaker on Sunday morning. We have a pastor's conference coming up here in a few weeks. And one of the men that's going to speak at the conference, um, I've asked him to do our Sunday morning service. His name is Manny. And you're going to love this story when you hear uh, Manny share with us in a few weeks, but uh, Manny, he wrote a book, uh, his, it's his biography, he wrote a book called Radical Redemption, and it's his story. He was on the FBI's most wanted list, uh, he was uh, hiding from the authorities in South America, he came to faith in Christ, he turned himself in to the authorities, he went to prison, and there in prison, God began to do an amazing work in his life. It's a, it's a great story. I'm, I'm not going to tell it for him. I'll let him tell it. But uh, just wetting your appetite a little bit. Uh, but anyway, through a process of miraculous kinds of things, he ends up uh, having a 55-year sentence or a potential 55-year sentence reduced to just a couple of years. And uh, he, he gets out of prison, and then God puts it on his heart to reach out to people, men who have come to faith in prison, coming out of prison. So... Uh, 
few decades back, he started a ministry. He lives in the Chicago area, but he started a ministry where he set up these homes to receive prisoners into after their release from prison for continued discipleship and then to help them get reintroduced into uh, society. But reading Manny's story and reading the stories of, of many of the men that he has um, worked with over the years, that kind of stuff always is so astounding to me. It's so impactful. I just, I love hearing those stories. And I was reading uh, in his other book, Radical Prayer, uh, I was reading uh, the story of a, of a man who was, he, he's sentenced to life still. And uh, he, he's come to faith and Jesus has done an amazing work in his life. And uh, one of the one of the people that were, were visiting the prison, they asked him the question. They said, well, you know, now that you're a Christian, now that God's done all of this in your life and he's renewed you and all, you know, how, how do you feel about this life sentence? Would you like that to, are you, are you hoping to get out of prison? And, you know, they, they were kind of thinking that, well, surely this person shouldn't be in prison anymore because they've been so radically reformed by the power of God. And the the, the response of the prisoner was this. The response was, you know what? Um, I need to be here because I need to pay for the crimes that I committed. And if you knew the crimes that I committed, you would be glad that I have a life sentence. He said, but you know what? I've really already been set free. I've been set free from the, from the prison of life dominating sin. And I'm happy to spend the rest of my life behind these bars because in my heart, I am set free. And, you know, that's the kind of transformation that we're talking about that's being referred to here in this passage. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. You know, it's possible that when you come to church here, you might be sitting next to somebody at some point that if you knew who they were, you'd get up and move. You might even move to another church. <laughs> but if you knew who they were, it, who they were before they met Christ. But you see, Jesus is able through his blood to so thoroughly wash and to cleanse us that we become new, white as snow. I love that picture. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. But that blood of Jesus can make me whole again and, and make us white as snow. That is such a beautiful thing. So, so this is the invitation that God gives to that person. And like I said, there, there's this work of God going on, on in prisons today. You know, um, there's a, a great desire and we, we long for a move of God's spirit that would sweep across the land and that we would see many people come to faith. Something similar to what we experienced, some of us back in the, the late 60s and through the uh, mid 70s there. As a matter of fact, Pastor Greg Laurie is teaching, um, he's been doing a brief series on kind of the, the question is, can we experience a revival again? 
And, and this is definitely the need of the hour, isn't it? Where the Spirit of God would work so mightily in people's lives as to just grab hold of them and just turn them away from sin. Well, uh, going back to my friend Manny for a moment, uh, Manny believes that God is, is going to send a great outpouring of his spirit, but he has a, a personal conviction that that awakening, that, that that sort of revival is going to begin in the prisons. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he's right. And actually, to some degree, that is happening. So as we consider this invitation here in Isaiah 118, let us all know that whether it's for ourselves or for someone else, the invitation is still there to come and have those stains removed by the blood of Jesus. There's no one that's too far. There's no one whose pit is too deep. There's no stain that's too dark that the blood of Jesus can't remove. So that's one invitation. Second invitation that I want to look at is found in Matthew chapter 11. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, here Jesus extends an invitation and he says this. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, like I said a few moments ago, we're all sinners. There's no person anywhere in the world, never has been, who, who's not a sinner. But like we also said, we have to recognize it, that not everybody has engaged in sin to the same degree, and not everybody's life is uh, marred by sin to the same degree. And so the sort of the, the manifestation of the, the presence of sin in, in people's lives varies to some extent from person to person. And rather than the person who has, you know, their sins of scarlet and crimson and they're, they're right there, it's just a massive blot. You, you can just, it's inescapably obvious. You can't help but see it. There's, there's other people who aren't really like that externally, but yet the reality is there, there's still sin there. There's the burden of sin. And Jesus here is extending an invitation to those who labor and are heavy laden. He's talking to those who are weary, the man or the woman who is burdened by sin, weighed down by the heaviness of life, overcome by troubles and cares that are connected back to sin that's in the world and, and sin that's in our hearts as well. You see, again, for some people, their sins are obvious. Paul even said this to Timothy. He said, you know, some men's sins, they are, are evident to everybody. They, they precede them to judgment. Everybody knows, yeah, that person's a sinner. 
He said, but the sins of some, they follow after, meaning that there are certain people who don't outwardly appear to be all that sinful. But the reality is we are all sinners. And that, that will be shown ultimately in the final day, in the judgment day. But, but for those who are not so obviously outwardly sinful, the reality is sin is still there and we labor under the burden of sin. And it's when we come to recognize that that's what is really going on and we cry out to the Lord, that's when he brings us what we are considering here. He brings us relief. He brings us rest. He brings us peace. You see, this is where some people are at. You talk about those life-dominating sins. You talk about people in prison. You talk about people in prostitution. You talk about people in drug addiction. You talk about all that. And they're like, hey, man, you know, I'm not that. But there's, there's something that's not right. Yeah, it's, it's the same thing. It's just, you know, varying degrees. It's sin. And it's the same solution. The solution is coming to Jesus. Coming to him. And as he said, he will take that heavy burden. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. He will take that burden of sin that we bear. You know, sin is a heavy burden and trying to come out from under it, apart from the grace of God, it, it can't happen. It ends up being a crushing thing. I was talking to a, a young man the other night. I was at a wedding and I met him there at this wedding. And as we were having a, a brief kind of introductory conversation, it came up that he was, uh, his background was as a Jehovah's Witness. And for 20 years, he'd been involved as a Jehovah's Witness. And he was telling me that that, you know, is kind of his family. Everybody's involved with that. And he said, but you know, I'm reconsidering that. I'm kind of, uh, you know, looking at some other, sort of some other spiritual options. And uh, he found out in the midst of the conversation that I, I was a pastor and a Christian. So, so we started talking and I said, you know, look, here's the thing, whether, it, whether you're a Jehovah's Witness or you're uh, a Muslim or you're Jewish or you're uh, Catholic or you're, you know, uh, Hindu or Buddhist or, you know, what, whatever it is, religion under whatever label, even if it goes under the label of Christian, religion is always going to be burdensome and it's never going to do anything but ultimately crush you. Because with religion, you're always trying to work your way to God and you're always realizing that you're not making it. So religion itself does not lend itself to joy and to rest and relief and peace. Religion lends itself to a, a weight, a burden. And I was trying to give him the, the picture of the d distinction between what religion does for you and, and what the gospel does for you. Where religion places a burden on you, the gospel takes the burden from you. That's what Jesus did. And trying to you know, present it in a way where the gospel just brings us freedom. It brings us lightness. It brings this, this wonderful release. And, and 
and rest and joy because you're resting in something Jesus did. And so I, I started sharing with him verses on how a person is saved, talking about grace and showing the distinction. This is, this is religion and whatever label you want to stick on it. This is what religion says. You work and that's how you're going to hopefully obtain favor with God. But the Bible says, no, it's by grace that we're saved. And so I, I was reading a few, or I didn't have my Bible in my hand. I was quoting to him a few passages. And, you know, at one point he says, he says, hold on, hold on. I, I got to write this down. This is good. I, I want to, I need to think more about this. So he had a phone. I said, hey, here's my number. Send me a text. I'll send you a text back. And I'll, I'll share these verses with you. And, you know, we were at a wedding and it was a busy weekend and all. So I said, you know, I'll get, I'll get these to you. So last night before I went to bed, I just sat down and I, I, I sent him a text with a, a couple of passages on God's grace. And just about midnight, I heard my, my phone go off, you know, that I had, a, I had a text message coming through. And I picked it up and looked at it and he said, thank you for these verses. I'm reading them right now. And I thought, oh, thank you, Lord, that this is the, you know, that hopefully that, that entrance into that deliverance from the weight, the burden of trying to save oneself. I watched an interview last night from Muhammad Ali's funeral and his wife was speaking and she said how, you know, Muhammad really wanted to go to heaven. And she said this amazingly. She said, you know, he told me one day that he's got to work and work and work. He's got to work harder because you got to work your way to heaven. And I heard that and I thought, oh, how sad. Because the truth of the matter is you can't work your way to heaven. There's, no, there's nothing you can do. You, you can't be good enough. The standard is beyond us. But the wonderful news is you don't have to work your way to heaven. Jesus he has already done. He did the work. That's the gospel. Jesus did the work. We get the benefit. That's, that's the message of the gospel. You know, as, as I was uh, driving in to church this morning, I was listening to Dr. McGee on the radio. And you know, if, you, if you've listened to Dr. McGee, you know that oftentimes I'll read letters from listeners uh, in different parts of the world. Well, it just so happens that they have, uh, evidently they have a team from through the Bible, they have a team in the Middle East this week doing something. So all of the letters that they read were from listeners in the Middle East. And there was uh, the first letter that they read was from a, a man named Mohammed who asked not to be uh, identified with his country. But this is what the letter said. He said, please tell me about how the crucifixion of Jesus can take away my sins and give me a place in heaven because the Quran says that I can only get to heaven if I am a good person and I have to work for it. The request of this writer was, please tell me how the crucifixion of Jesus gives me a place in heaven. That's the reality. It's Jesus who gives us the place in heaven, again, because he did the work. He did the work for us. And so here he is, the one who is going to, at this point in the, the gospels, of course, Jesus had not yet gone to the cross, but that's the whole reason why he's here on earth, to go to the cross. So he can say, come to me, 
all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. He was going to secure that rest for us. He did do that through the cross. And so when we take him up on this invitation to come to him, we receive the rest, the relief, we receive the peace that is otherwise unattainable. But then that brings us to God's final invitation here. And as we read here, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let him who hears say, come. Let him who thirst come. And, and this is the third category that I want to look at. There's the, as, as we said, there's the, the, the sin that, that's deep and, and it's, it's permeated into the very fabric of a, of a person's soul. The sin is, is scarlet and crimson. And then there's the sin that, that weighs down the burdens. But now the, here's the third category. And I think everybody's somewhere in one of these categories. And in some cases, we, we might be in all three places. But, but the third description here of, of the, the condition that the invitation is meant to remedy is that of thirst, if anyone thirst. And I think that, that this is so prevalent in our culture today. You know, we live in a, a, a relatively affluent culture. We live in a, a very materialistic culture. And the, the idea that most people have is that through, uh, through the obtaining of things, material things, or, or by gaining you know, some sort of position in society, or, or by you know, really just discovering myself and living for who I really am, that it's through this that I'm finally going to have this, this thirst quenched. Now, oftentimes people aren't using that terminology, but some people even would use that terminology. You know, I, I just, I'm looking for something to quench my thirst. Well, that's, that's just the, the experience of, of all of us, really, when you think about it. So the invitation here is to the thirsty, is to those who find that nothing in the world satisfies, nothing fulfills. There is in them a deep sense of emptiness and futility. And, and this is true, like I said, of multitudes of people. And, and everybody's always thinking that, well, you know, it's just, it's the next thing. That's, that's what's going to do it for me. I remember myself uh, before I came to Christ. That was where I was at. I was always looking uh, uh, to the future because, you know, from where I was, I was restless. I was thirsty. It didn't matter what I was doing. So I would think, okay, well, you know, I'm going to move on to this next thing. And when I, when I get to that spot, that's where the thirst will be quenched. But you know what? I would get to that spot and I'd find it, well, I'm just as thirsty here as I was back there. It's a, it's a never ending thing. Because the truth of the matter is this, that in every single human heart, and I, when I say heart, I don't mean the physical organ. I mean, the, the, the core of every single human being, there is a God-shaped void, and there's nothing that can be put in that place except God that will bring fulfillment. It's just as uh, Augustine said, 
We were made by God and for God, and we are restless until we come to know him. That is the situation. But notice the invitation. This is the invitation. The Lord is saying, come. Come. Whoever is thirsty, come. Let him drink of the water of life freely. Now, again, we, we talked about this previously a little bit, but just that, that picture of water. Now, can you see the picture behind me of water? Isn't that a beautiful picture? I took that picture with my iPhone. And that picture is from the head waters of the Jordan River in the northern area of Israel, up at a place called Tel Dan. And, and there in Tel Dan, there's, it's, it's the place, like I said, it's, it's the place where the Jordan River begins. And you've got all of these beautiful uh, places along where you know, the spring comes up and then you've got these waterfalls and things. And we, we had hiked back there. It's quite a hike. But when you get there and you see that water and it's so refreshing, many believe that when David wrote the words, as the deer pants for the water, so pants my soul for thee, O God, that it was at that place that David got the idea for that song. Because when we think of that, that water that springs up, when we think of that fountain, when we think of that flowing river, this is a, the imagery that God uses over and over again because we, we all know what it's like to be refreshed by water. We all know what it's like to have our thirst satiated by water. We all know what it's like physically. But of course, God is using this uh, figuratively. But it's the same thing. Just as water refreshes us when we're parched, when, we're, when it's hot, just as it would refresh us as it, it goes down as we drink it, or it might refresh us as we, as we sit there under that water that's flowing over us. So this is the picture that God gives of our souls. This is what happens. And, and remember, it's like Jesus said to the woman at the well there in John chapter four, the woman who was coming to the well to draw water. And Jesus says to her, if you drink this water, or the first thing he says to her, he says, woman, give me a drink. And she's puzzled because she's a Samaritan. He's a Jew. There's a racial kind of an issue between the Samaritans and the Jews. She wonders, why is this Jewish man asking me for water? This is awkward. This is unusual. Jesus says, if you knew who I was, and if you knew the gift of God, you would ask me and I would give you living water. She said, okay, give me that living water. And then Jesus said to her, they were, they, he was there at the well in a place called Sychar. And it was Jacob. Jacob had originally dug the well. And the woman says, well, how are you going to get the water? It's deep and you don't have anything to draw with. And Jesus says to her, he says, if you drink this water, you will thirst again. But if you drink the water that I give, you will never thirst because that water will become like a spring welling up from within you and flowing out from you. And that's the picture of what we're talking about here. 
The Lord is inviting all people to come and drink the water of life freely. And you see, that's what salvation is. It is the thing that satisfies the human soul. It is the thing that brings peace. It is the thing that washes and cleanses us so thoroughly from the stain of sin that it's like we never even had those stains upon us. And that invitation, like I said in the beginning, it goes all the way out right to the end. That's where we're at. We're right at the end of the Bible. And God is still extending the invitation. And notice what it says. The spirit and the bride say come. The Holy Spirit, you know what the Holy Spirit is doing in the world today? The Holy Spirit is saying come to people. He's convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And in doing that, he's seeking to draw people to Jesus. That's the work of the Spirit. He's saying to people, come. I want to say this to you. If you are uh, a parent today, and you have a child that has gone astray, that has wandered off, maybe so far from the place that they should be, maybe their lives are dominated by sin. Maybe that stain of sin is so deep. Maybe they're in prison. Maybe they're living on the streets because they're addicted to drugs. Know this. The Spirit is saying to them, come. Keep praying for them. Because even though you might not see it, even though you, you, you might not have any sense that there's anything happening, the Spirit says, come. And that's what the Spirit does. And I have heard testimony after testimony about how in the midst of that, that deep, dark, sinful place, many would testify and say, the Spirit was saying, come. I came back to the Lord because... This is what the Spirit was doing in my life. And of course, then we realized that yes, and loved ones had not stopped praying for them. Keep praying. The Spirit says, come. The bride says, come. The bride says, come. You know, it is our privilege. We're the bride. It is our privilege to invite people to come to Jesus. You know, sometimes we get all hung up about what we call evangelism, sharing our faith. Sometimes we get all intimidated. And sometimes we, we get all stressed out about that. But you know, listen, let's just simplify it. What are we doing? We're just inviting people to come. You know, I don't have to convince somebody that the, the Bible is true. I don't have to convince somebody that the gospel is reality. It's not my responsibility to make people understand this to the point that they can really believe it. You know, all I need to do is just invite people, you know, come. Come and see. Because the truth of the matter is, Jesus is very much alive and well. And uh, you come and see, and guess what? You'll meet him. He'll, he'll, he'll let you know what the facts are. I, I like in, in the Gospel of John, when, um, when they're, uh, they're sharing... It's in the early part of the, the Gospel of John, you have the, the series of events where Andrew, uh, he goes and gets his brother, Simon Peter. He says, come. And they go, others, and they get uh, the Philip and Nathaniel, and they're, you know, come and see, come and see. We, we found the Messiah. Come, well, just come and see. You know, they didn't say, we found the Messiah, and, and here's 10 reasons why we know this is the Messiah. 
They just said, we found the Messiah. Oh, come on, how could you have found the Messiah? Are you sure? Well, come and see, come and check it out. And, and so for us as well, like I said, sometimes we just get way too hung up and we find that, you know what? The Spirit's already at work. So what are we doing? Inviting people, come and see, taste and see that the Lord is good. You want to know about Jesus? You want to know if he's real? Well, ask him if he's real. I don't have to convince you that he's real. <laughs> you, you really want to know he's real? Guess what? If you ask him, he'll tell you. He'll make himself known to you. The Spirit and the bride say come. So this is our privilege that we, it's, it's not a burden, it's a privilege that we get to do this. And let him who hears say come. And who does the invitation go out to? Whoever desires. Whoever desires. That's the same all the way through. Whosoever will. Whosoever believes. God has this offer of the water of life and it's free to everyone. The only thing one must do is want it, desire it. And like Jesus said, there's not a single person. He said, whoever comes to me, I will never, ever turn them away. There's no one that's gone too far. There's no pit that's too deep. There's no burden that's too heavy. There's no thirst that's unquenchable because Christ is able to deal with all those things. And, and that invitation goes out today. It's gone out all throughout history and it's gonna go out right to the very end because God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. Let's not forget that. God wants to save people. Jesus died so people could be saved. Who did he die for? He died for everybody. So everybody is a candidate for salvation. So we as the bride, let's say come. And let's have confidence that the Spirit is saying come. And of course, let's, for ourselves, who have already come, just stay refreshed there in that fountain of living water the water of life. Just keep drinking from that, that fountain and let that fountain well up within and pour out from our lives. Lord, thank you that you continue to offer this water of life freely to whoever desires it. Oh, Lord, we are so thankful that that's the case. And Lord, we pray. We pray, Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would just continue that work of convicting men of sin and righteousness and judgment and, and calling them to come. And Lord, we pray for ourselves as the bride, as the church, Lord, that our voice might be that voice that is bidding others to come. Lord, help us not to confuse the message. Help us to know that it's not our job to tell people that they need to clean up their lives. Help us, Lord, to realize we need to just tell people they need to come to you. Oh, Lord, may we, the bride, say come.
And Lord, draw many to yourself. Lord, in these days, these are desperate times. Lord, you know that better than we do. So Lord, in these days, we cry out, Holy Spirit, come. Be moving mightily. We thank you for what you're doing all across the land, all around the world. And Lord, we're just asking for a greater move in our lives, in our church, in your church, in the days ahead. We pray all these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.